You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. So Brendan, I don't know if this is public knowledge at this point when we release the pod, so we won't talk too much in detail, but there is a, a sizable list of names that are going to be involved in a online flesh and blood event, well, a, a casted event coming up um, that includes myself and you, or you and myself. And I want to know, because we're on the same side of the bracket, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, I actually asked if we could be put in the first match together, but apparently couldn't be rigged but we're on the same side of the bracket so like on the same team no we're not on the same team it's it's all know, it's all messing with it's you. all one for one uh, yeah it's news for me it's news to me i've been on an airplane i just got back from france unfortunately i did not have a night flight and night flights i, f- I freaking hate not flying <laughs> night flights because i basically i stayed awake the entire time uncomfortable in tiny tiny little chair got here and then realized that because we scheduled this podcast on french time it's now at 11 p.m., which is like 6 a.m. French time. So I'm just staying up the whole time. First thing I did when I got back, threw on a backpack and did a six-mile hike in the freaking 100-so-degree heat just so I could get back to my roots um, and try to stay awake. But um, yeah, hey, pretty right. much everything you've told me about this tournament, uh, I, I was kind of playing it cool uh, while we hopped on, but I, I don't know anything right now. I knew in the very beginning when they were like, hey, we have this idea, but there's been some new news and you know they've been pinging in discord i've been uh I've been on vacation been <laughs> well vacation we, we won't we won't spoil anything yet because i don't know what details are released or not released but look out for it i think it's going to be awesome there's some very very big names uh wrapped into one big event but brendan my question is what do you play i need to i need to make sure i can counter it wait that's, that's the question you usually ask me isn't it i <laughs> kind of messed this around the wrong way maybe i should tell you what i'm playing so you can try and counter that yeah yeah tell me what you're playing i don't you're know you're playing what you were just I'm playing young a young prism. No, oh young know. prism probably, did did probably perform. play Icelander. Well, maybe it'll be sixteen Icelanders. Anyway, as per usual, starting off with a great question. But welcome to episode seventy-seven of Arsenal Pass. Uh, we are both back in the proverbial studios, I guess, the spiritual home of Arsenal Pass for only one week more, though, Brendan, because I am going to be moving house and I'm going to have a new background behind me uh and if not the next pod then the pod after yeah uh you know i was gonna say it feels good to be back uh i was hunched over quasimodo style over my laptop and i would put my yeti mic in a glass cup which funny enough i did actually pack one of those glass cups in my bag on accident when i was packing up <laughs> they've done so much work it, 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 it no like like this glass cup from the hotel shattered all my bag <laughs> um, because i left it attached to the mic or something but um yeah it feels good to be back last time he makes that mistake uh, but th- i'll tell you what uh, glass cups for us through different uh we've had glass cups in florida we're in orlando for the calling and nationals we've had glass cups in new jersey we've had glass cups in Lille. we're just everywhere we go and we record a pod remotely it's all about the glass cups I had a glass cups in four different countries in Europe during this. Like, yeah, I mean, it honestly is the go-to for your Yeti mic. If you need a stand, you just go to a, like get like a normal little drinking cup and you just slap it in there. Wouldn't say it's ideal, but also on that note, if anyone wants to uh, make a custom Arsenal Pass glass for Brennan's Yeti mic, then uh, go right ahead. I see you've got some Swiss water there. 
Anyway, Brendan, episode 77 of Arsenal Pass. Uh, I guess the title is Flesh and Blood as a Digital Card Game? Question mark. Uh, we have a pretty, a pretty knowledgeable guest, I would say, on this uh, subject. And, you know, with the rise of Talishar and a lot of discussion in sort of the community and the, and the discourse, we wanted to have this kind of chat. And we're, we're bringing on a familiar face to many Uh a streamer in his own right of games such as Legends of Runeterra and other digital TCGs. Uh, we've got Margin Bay, aka Caleb Van Patten, joining us very shortly to, you know, talk through this. And we've got a pretty robust discussion ahead of us. But before then, Brendan, I guess I already asked you about what the last 48 hours have looked like for you. But, uh, you know, what about the rest of your week? Any flesh and blood? Maybe tell us a little bit. Recap the last few countries you've been in for, you know, those of us that may not have heard mm. in the last pod. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I got to remember where we left off last time. I... I- I think you're in Germany. Know. I think you're just, you were okay. talking about Hamburg and, and I think you'd just finished up and you were heading to, maybe you were in Switzerland at that point. I think you might have been Switzerland. Okay, yeah. So I went from Hamburg to Dortmund to the uh, Borussia Dortmund game, which was wild. The big yellow wall and the flares. But everybody in Europe I talked to is like, that's not cool. That happens every time. I was like, okay, but it's uh, true. Anyway, I went to Switzerland after that. I was in Zurich, uh, which was amazing. It's freaking beautiful. Uh, it is. A fortune and unbelievably expensive for basic things. That's the thing is like the expensive things in Switzerland, they're normal, expensive price. A freaking like cheeseburger and a glass of water is like 80 bucks. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, Zurich is beautiful. Um, it has this like fresh, I think, I don't know if it's fresh water, but basically it, it sits on this huge lake that's like a rock bottom. Um, and there's plenty of like air swimming areas like, right in the city. And then you can just take it. You can take a train like 40 minutes out. And I swear to God, I was in like the most majestic freaking uh, area I've ever been in my life. Like it looked like I've never been to the South Island in New Zealand, but the feedback I was getting is that it looked like that. And it was 40 minutes away from the city. It was freaking beautiful. Uh, Brune in Switzerland, just like, yeah. 40, 40 minutes up from Zurich. It was, it was, went on a little hike there. And I would, I would love to go back. I'm actually very jealous of everything Swiss and I, I want to become Swiss, but unfortunately, it's freaking impossible. Um, from Switzerland, went to Austria, <clears throat> was in Vienna, uh, hung out with a friend from high school there over the weekend, did a bit of partying in Vienna. So I had that, uh, that Austrian unst. We went to, a, went to a discotheque and it was actually pretty crazy, but Vienna's freak. Vienna's awesome. If you haven't been to Vienna, um, like you'll go to European cities, uh, through, throughout Europe and you'll see a few pretty buildings and you're like, yeah, that's cool. You go to Vienna everywhere you look, it's unbelievably beautiful. Yep. That was That's my, definitely my fault there. But everywhere you go in Vienna, it's absolutely stunning. And like the, just like the sheer amount of unbelievable architecture is, is, is mind blowing, but cool city. Uh, very nice. One funny thing about this European trip, Hayden, by the way, is I packed for summer and you remember in Lilo, it was freaking hot. It was humid. By the time we left, it was like 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit and like freezing, uh, freezing like winds and it was kind of rainy and. Yeah, I had to buy a lot of clothes while I was there, so didn't didn't it, it, I was not prepared for in the span of thirty days to go from freaking summer to like literal winter. It felt like awesome. Well, thank you, Samantha Brown, for your travels recap. Uh, good to have you on the show. <laughs> I don't know who that is? You're who's Samantha Brown? She's a 
travel like a like a host of like getaway or some tv show like that travel presenter but but anyway uh <laughs> this is a flesh and blood podcast um and you know i have been watching some flesh and blood this weekend of course a lot of national championships on this past weekend most notably u.s nationals where i actually don't watch a lot of flesh and blood coverage just because of the time zone but u.s nationals i made sure to uh tune into and watch post the facts so on monday i spent a lot of time watching uh the top eight of u.s nationals the to be honest i i love kind of these um you know nationals calling events that happen in the u.s because the the, the quality of the coverage is always so high uh you know shout out to the coverage team of course but also just the, the production team involved so it's always so watchable which is great so i watched a bit of that big congrats to michael hamilton of course for taking out u.s nationals the the, the man is just a phenom it's All just bad. I did call it. That was that was my that was my bet for for you, for nationals and like the did take it down. There is a dude. There is a fiery discussion on Twitter oh. by the way with the best player in the world. The Twitter the Twitter <laughs> discourse is finally. You know we've had this whole thing of flesh and blood Twitter being like so nice and people you know now it's like descended into the first real like Twitter split of like who's the best player in the world. Yeah. Um, We'll figure it out at Worlds. Relax, everybody. I just like I thought I was going into like this nice little this nice little uh, thread, and it was like, well, Pablo Pintor did. That. I was like, okay, well, relax. Yeah, I mean, both uh, the discourse seems to be coming down to Pablo and and Michael. And yeah. to be honest, I think there's other players you could throw in that discussion. All of these players are r- phenomenal players, and you know, I think we get we've got so much more ahead of us. We're literally only through the first full year of of proper OP with the first two Pro Tours and Worlds approaching. So to be honest, even after Worlds, I don't think you could conclusively say but you know what sort of proving ground is worlds if you know if nothing else so we're gonna see i do also want to give a, a quick shout out to friend of the podcast brendan uh dave who's our editor who also top aided uh new zealand nationals so shout out to editor dave uh who took our briar deck to to a top eight unfortunately lost to briar mirror in the top eight but you know these them's the breaks as they say them's the breaks indeed so hopefully we'll get to see editor dave at uh worlds and we can can have a, a full contingent. Um, mm. I reckon we move on to some news, Brendan. Uh, and do just want to lead with a big shout out to Legend Story Studios and FabTCG.com for allowing us to do a little bit of a, a, I guess, a collaboration with Deck Tech for this national season. So I did a Deck Tech for a Viscerai uh, deck, and that's just gone up, I think, about three days ago at this point. Just post nationals uh, up on FabTCG.com, so you can go check that out. And of course, with all Deck Techs as per usual, there will be a, a cyborg guide that's up on Patreon as well if you're looking for that. Uh, nationals is fully done. So three weeks of Nationals are in the books. And to be honest, like, I think every time we go through these seasons, like, the level of this kind of OP just seems to, like, just increase. Like, not only in terms of, like, the quality of these events and the, the coverage we're getting, you know, between... You know, I, I watched Canadian Nationals. I watched US Nationals. I watched a little bit of New Zealand Nationals. Um, I watched some of, like, Malaysian Nationals. Malaysian Nationals? Hong Kong regionals, I think. You know, there's so many, you know, we're getting access to so many of these events streamed now, but also kind of we're making more names. We're seeing players out there. Of course, we have our first two-time national champion. We've got, you know, this this Michael Hamilton run. We've got so many other things and narratives that are coming through. You can have your hands full at Worlds, Brendan. That's all I'm saying with a lot of narratives starting to float around with the kind of level that we're at as we head through this OP season. Also, icing on the cake, best meta ever question mark uh, at least best meta <laughs> is best meta since zoomer flesh and blood which is like i think post crucible of war um so once we get into that monarch era i think that this is the best that we've seen 
um, since then. This is uh, feels very refreshing, feels very nice, and so far the sentiment seems to be positive. Um, I'm enjoying it. I, I'm still enjoying it, even though I think we're you know we, we've made a bit of a dent. You know, the the meta's been tested out, and I don't think it's completely solved yet. And we're going to see some interesting decks and strategies show up at the World Championships here in San Jose. Yeah, we've got a ban and uh, ban and suspended announcement coming this coming Monday, I think. Uh, I expect to see no change. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something happen in Blitz. Maybe the dev team have done a bit of Blitz testing because not many people have at this point, but that's going to be something that obviously comes up big. But also maybe because of the small impact that it's not a full Blitz event, you know, it's it's a quarter of the, the rounds. Uh, maybe they kind of just let it lie and uh, we see what happens from there. But can I just throw a quick spin in the works for you, Brendan? Yeah? Yep. Okay, thank you. They're just asking for permission, first of all. Uh, <laughs> It's a it's a it's an audio medium. Um, this is a great format. I think this is one of the best formats. Is it the best class constructor format we've had so far? I'm actually not so sure, uh, but I'm sure we will see as we get into worlds. I, I think the the format of Tales of Aria was actually a, a very good format, um, but you know we can. <laughs> can leave that for another day i do just want to say as well as nationals wraps up we are at the cutoff time for xp elo uh for all but two countries so i think i want to say germany and i know definitely singapore their nationals are happening this weekend so they're exempt from these cutoffs there's a, a secondary cutoff but i believe that does not impact what the current cutoff is and so if you're a top 50 leaderboard uh for these events then you, congratulations you uh, have your your ticket punched to head to worlds uh, i have that Boomer XP Brendan, so I've I've punched my ticket through there. Not using a PTI yeah. after my I'm average nationals performance. Happy that they're using Elo, um, and then yeah, I mean maybe they keep XP around. I understand it, but yeah, happy that we're finally switching over to uh, utilizing Elo here. It, it feels very refreshing, and you know now that the leaderboard has had time to establish, and that top fifty is more solidified, um, mm -hmm. it does feel like an appropriate time. Yeah, it's. Um, I tell you what. The the one thing I have noticed is that through this this season, so PT two through the national season, the Elo is very very swingy. Um, is one thing I will note. So I actually, you know, all my talk I think previously about how much I wanted Elo to be the main way that we we show invites. Uh, I think that's still correct, and I think it should be swingy to a degree. But it's it's probably I thought it would settle a bit more by now, and it hasn't really. So. Um, you know, like we see pe people who were you know comfortably you know the people not playing nationals because. They didn't want to miss out on a on an elo invite which you know that's another debate in itself right of what you want to do but that's that's personal decision um but you know i think from from myself i think i went from like top 15 constructed elo to about 100 um after a more than positive record in classic constructed across pt2 and i think i went 12 and 6 no 12 and Seven, I don't know, something like that, across the two events um, and, and lost quite a bit of chunk of ELO and went down to like 100. So there, it is a bit swingier than I would think. Um, but of course, you know, when you've got, you go to a Nationals uh, and you get still influx of so many new players as well, maybe first rated event, things like that. Um, it's interesting. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, Living Legend update is also coming, I believe, on Monday with the end of National season. Uh, Briar has not hit Living Legend and will not be Living Legend before Worlds, which is pretty big news as well. So important to know that. Yeah, very big news indeed, actually. Uh, but looking at the current meta, even with uh, even with the old rules, I don't know if it would have yeah. happened. No, under old rules, it would have. Because, so it actually it won. Oh, well, I, I'm pretty sure it would have because it won three nationals just this past weekend. So 
Um, but it's interesting because we see Briar continue to not do well in the bigger markets. Uh, is that a sign of you know mixed format? Is it a sign of these, I guess, these regions being more developed and having you know plans? People are moving off of it. They just don't see it as a threat. I'm not sure what it is, but you know, I think we had one Briar in US Nationals top eight. Uh, I think we had three in New Zealand though, two or three. Yeah, three Briar in New Zealand, um, which is still a you know reasonable size market. So, yeah, it's interesting, but uh, it will not have Living Legend regardless. So it will be at Worlds. It will still be a player. Uh, last but definitely not least, we have a dynasty spoiler, Brendan, for November first, Tuesday, November first. It will our uh, US time. Ours will be dropping. Uh, it's a really condensed season, obviously, because of Worlds happening that weekend. So I think it's thirty first to November second. So October thirty first, November second is the previous season. Really short. Ours will be dropping on the first. Don't know what we've got yet, but I've heard some people are getting some stuff in the in the theme of of you know their sort of content they produce i've heard you know some azalea stands getting their 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 range of stuff and potentially so brendan if you were to take a guess you know what would really encapsulate arsenal pass as a as a preview card what do you what do you think we should get what do you you know what would make sense for us uh i don't have something witty enough but uh yeah so here's the thing i think that uh <laughs> it doesn't have to be witty yeah on theme with us giving them so much flack for the ban list I wouldn't be surprised to get like a, a token reprint, like a like a like a cold foil seismic surge or something. I, I don't know. But we'll we'll see. To be honest, jokes aside, I don't think we can top Crown of Providence. I think that's one of the most impactful and kind of just important equipments to ever. People laughed at you, Brendan. People laughed at you. I when know, you said that. and they were wrong. <laughs> uh, so I don't think we're gonna top that one. Uh, and I'm very grateful that we were able to get that card last time. Nevertheless, uh, I would like to get something with the Arsenal. That would be nice. But at the same time, I think we are both wizard connoisseurs, aficionados, uh, disciples, whatever you want to call it. So I'd love to get some wizard cards because um, it looks like this set is going to have some spicy cards in for wizard. We already see with the main phase wizard pump coming in, the armory spoiler. So I'm not sure, Hayden, but yeah, either some with the Arsenal or ideally some with the wizard. Would be uh, would be my bet, or you know, generic equipment that totally blows the cap off what's possible in the game. That's cool too. I'll take that. Uh, you know what I would say if if we were to get two, maybe you know I could push it. We get two a big set. I think was a card for you, and a you know a Reinhardt, a brute card. Sorry, Reinhardt, a brute card, Reinhardt card. Same thing, right? What does Levy mean? Uh, or you know, I guess a Runeblade card would also probably fit our previous history. But anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, lastly, just. Big shout out to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. And if you do want to join our Patreon, you get access to all the extra content, uh, full cyborg cards. We've got Michael Hamilton's up there. We've got um, the one for the Briar Deck Tech, one for the Viscerai. Uh, that's all available through patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Pass. Brendan, you're back in Texas. Surely it's time for a bit of a barbecue. <laughs> surely, surely. Is there something waiting on the queue for me? Oh, yeah. Is it uh, okay? You kept it warm? All right. Well, you know, you're away for so long. I, I made sure that, to stoke the, like the flames a few times at least. Mm. Um, this question this week is actually an email question. Email to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. If you do want to get your uh, questions in for the Commander Cookout, you can do so there. You can drop them to us on Twitter in a DM or at, at us on Twitter uh, in the Discord. If you're part of the Patreon Discord, we do have a channel there as well. Or just drop them in the YouTube comments below. Uh, we're in we're in search of some more questions. We're kind of running the well dry after the mailbag we did a few weeks ago. So this one comes from Wampa Fruit. And they say, Hi Arsenal Pass. I've been a player since late Arcane Rising, a fair boomer, as you'd say, well, especially Brendan. And as such, I have an unhealthy love for base heroes. 
don't we all? <laughs> My question is, so when, when uh, Wamba Fruit says base heroes, I'm meditating here, I, you know, they, they're talking about non-talented heroes. My question is, do you think LSS will print more base heroes for Class Constructed, or are they obsolete? Should they print a base illusionist, for example? Also, it seems like Glistening Steel Blade almost single-handedly put Dory back on the map. Should power specialization cards be the method for balancing base heroes going forward? Love to hear your thoughts on this, and maybe what Hayden's dream Reinar specialization would be. You know, I didn't read that part, so I have to think on the fly. Thank you. Brendan, I'll, I'll leave with you. What are your thoughts on, uh, I guess, non-talented heroes and their, their, their place in Flesh and Blood now, and specialization cards maybe helping those heroes bump up? That's a big question. Um, it's a so great question, we, we've though. Yeah, we've talked about this as well before. Um, so non-talented heroes do seem to be less powerful, <laughs> and they do seem to be a dying breed. Uh, will we ever see something like an illusionist class? Maybe, right? It, it, I mean, with illusionists in particular, if you look at the like the generic illusionist card, it seems like there is an archetype there that is not completely expressed by something like Jermai or Prism. Um, you know, something more along the lines of the pumps. Uh, Enigma Chimera. You know, maybe yeah, it, some of those pre-pumps as well and utilizing Spears of Surreality a bit more. But you know, now we got Doombreaker Centipi, which is effectively a mirrored card, but better. Which is again that that's what makes it interesting is you have these these dichotomies between things like Spears of Surreality and Dunebreaker Set of Pie, which is just better, right? Um, so is it, are they going to keep printing it? I, I don't know. Like I think maybe to introduce a class, like maybe the first introduction of a class we get is going to be the base version of it, whether it's an assassin or um, a druid or something like that. But after that, it does seem like the future of these classes are in the specializations. We already see you know heroes like Bravo become Bravo star of the show uh, and sort of ascend to this more powerful version, which obviously got out of hand. But we'll see how that goes. One thing I want to one thing I want to critique about the Dory, and I do agree that Glistening Steel Blade did put Dory on the map, but I would more attribute that to actually Prism rotating out of the format because I felt like Prism really strangulated that Dorinthia deck. Um, and at the same time, you know, Dorinthia had, had taken so much time off that when it came back into the meta, people were so unpracticed against it that it did see some success. Um, we talked about kind of on the last podcast that, you know, Dorinthia will see success, then she sh she'll see more success as people pick it up and kind of fleek the deck. And then progressively, it seems to have a sort of steady downtrend as people really learn how to play against and we said god forbid tech against it but the specialization card is a really interesting concept for designs you have this singular card that is you know, dory specialization has seemed to have pushed the class so much and as we all know now playing against dorinthia is like once they slap that card down like you're just i'm, I'm putting my hand down because like if that counter gets on there like it, it's it's really hard to deal with yeah, hoping hoping for the best hoping for no twinning blade to punish you yeah um yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree to some extent. I think, I mean, we have seen young heroes even after talented heroes, right? Like, sorry, young heroes be this kind of, you know, maybe this way to to do this. Um, although I guess the heroes we've seen so far uh, look like, you know, what is what is Yoji? Is Yoji, uh, Yoji's not just a guardian, right? Yoji is like something else. I'm going to look uh, this up. <clears throat> Honestly, all I know that is that he's a guardian, but I haven't looked into it too much because it is more of a multiplayer PVE UPF hero. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guardian hero, but he has a... Uh, uh, I can only see half the card on the thing. It's so annoying. Uh, okay, I have to come back to that one. If anyone knows, drop in the comments below. What is what is Yoji? Uh, it looks like he's got a draconic border or a, a border from Volcor at least. So 
Um, so let's just tell us about that. But yeah, I mean, I think Young Heroes is a good way in particular to have this kind of, like you say, gateway to um, base heroes as Wampa Fruit's calling it, or, you know, I'd say untalented heroes. I think the game's moved beyond it, to be honest. I think those first two sets were really about that. And I think, if anything, those first two sets in Welcome to Wraith and Arcane Rising were almost, um, you know, a simplification of maybe what the game was already going to be. So I would more expect us to see Katsu, you know, whatever. You know, these talented versions of these these heroes, like we saw with Bravo Star of the Show, get the, get the, get the, uh, get the Star of the Show treatment, as we like to call it. Um, so I, I honestly don't know if there is room for them. I think they're hard to balance as well, potentially, because of, you know, like specialization is a way you potentially can sort of balance them. But then you can also, I think, probably go too far. Although in saying that, I guess none of the eight heroes uh, that we see so far are, you know, that close to being living legend, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. We'll we'll see what happens. I, I guess Yoji must be royal, right? Because he's a royal protector. Uh, I'm guessing that's what that is. I'm just looking at it again, like glancing over to it. Um so yeah, but in terms of specializations, I think it's a really actually the most interesting point from this question that Wampa Fruit brings to us is like not just specializations for, I think, balancing of like these quote unquote base heroes, these untalented heroes, but actually maybe some of these heroes that are really struggling, maybe the design isn't quite keeping them, you know, to the level of other heroes. Bolton, for example. Uh, you know, maybe a specialization is something that could could help a hero like Bolton um compete with the big boys or maybe another maybe we you know we we do give some uh, non-talented heroes azalea we give azalea a couple more specializations how many written the ledgers would it take uh britain for azalea to be you know tier two well britain's gone on mute for some uh unknown reason <laughs> oh i was here i was just contemplating my azalea no i was on mute i'm kidding <laughs> take a lot it would take a lot of red in the ledgers um but <clears throat> yeah i mean the specialization cards as sort of stimulus pa- sti- little stimulus packages for some of these you know quote unquote bad heroes uh i, I mean it could be a, it could be a good way to sort of i don't know make them relevant in a more reactive way right if you put it in you add it in a singular card into a supplemental set or a singular card into this dual deck sort of box set um and you are able to have impact on the class constructed format it could be a cool way of uh, a cool a cool way of adding to the design, but at the same time, I don't know how much of a fan I am of Glistening Steel Blade because it does seem like quite a steep step up, even though it's not game breaking at this point. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. I like the macro idea of like these specialization cards that are just super super powerful because I, I just really hate decks that revolve around one single card and moreover revolve around just kind of drawing that card because um, mm-hmm. like that for me that's what. Bolton Sabers is, is to a sense, it's, it's drawing we mean ascension. And you'd be like, well, Kano only cares about Ether Wildfire. Like, it's not true. It's like Kano has like a million other ways to kill the player and as well has tutors and like it's more of a setup deck. I digress. Well, all the tutors, the tutors have been specializations, right? Which is something I really like. So I do think that is a yeah. nice way to tie a really powerful tutor to a specific hero. Uh, I do like that. So yeah, I would like to see specializations used a little bit more, but got to be so careful with them, I think. In terms of Reinar, what would I like to see for a specialization? I mean, that's a that's a that's a tough question. Um, I think you know, without going too powerful. I mean, ultimately, just just give me a a brute blue six attack can be a specialization. That's that's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. I mean, brute brutes. I don't want to go too off topic. Brute is really interesting in terms of like the the level of cars it got from Everfest, right? With like swing big and wild ride. Um, I, I mean, less wild ride, more bear fangs. Like bear fangs and swing big are just 
I think, crazy powerful cars for Brute. And they sort of go a little bit above the threshold from some of the cars we saw back in the Alpha they set. They don't block that, bro. Um, they do not block, indeed. But, like, you know, as some great players would say, blocking is for chumps. Um, and Hayden, people have been taking Reinar to see some results, and I do feel like have. you have maybe turned your back on a deck that you were so-and-so, I don't know, defined by. And uh, now it seems like you're just not the guy anymore. <laughs> well, to be fair, I've never actually played Reinar to any success, so I'm just a, I'm just all talk, no substance. Anyway, thank you, Wampafruit, for the question. If you want to get your questions in, uh, please do so. Get them read out on the show. Very likely, if you get your questions soon, that uh, you will get it read out on the pod in the next few weeks. With that, it's time to jump over and bring our guest into the virtual studio, Brendan. Let's do it. All right, on to the main topic, and uh, we have a special guest joining us today, Caleb Van Patten, a.k.a. Margin Bay. Welcome to the show. Great to finally have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I, first of all, uh, Caleb, I have to talk a little bit about how we met because I, I kind of, I knew the name, but I didn't know the face. And then I saw that we appeared in Lille and we, we played. First of all, got to just shout out apologies for that game. It was uh, probably the most one-sided game I played all day due to variants uh, on both sides, <laughs> positive and negative. Um, but we, we played and then afterwards I was like, oh, I, I don't know, like, d- d- I don't know if this guy knows who I am. I don't know if I don't really know him. I'm just going to like start, just have a chat to him and just see. And turned out you're one of the nicest, uh, people I've met so far over the weekend. So it was great to finally meet you. And, uh, now we have you on the pod. Yeah. I'm stoked. Um, yeah. Cause I was talking to you, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, okay, this guy like has no idea who I am because like, we've never really interacted and I'm not very well known in the flesh and blood scene. Like I kind of am but more for my Runeterra stuff, obviously. And then, so we were talking the whole time. I'm like, man, he's so nice. This is like so cool. And then, uh, yeah, and then you mentioned, oh, and yeah, you stream on Twitch. And I was like, I had no idea you knew who I was. That's so crazy. I like to think that uh, I'm, I'm nice, even if I don't know if people know who I am, but maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a poll. Uh, maybe, maybe though, for, th- for those that, that don't know you, uh, Caleb, maybe you could give us a little bit of, uh, you know, a semi-abridged version of your, your, your TCG history and, and, you know, why you are known to different communities, your background in Legends of Runeterra, and then how you got into Flesh and Blood. Yeah, sure. So I started as a Magic the Gathering player, as a lot of us did. Um, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. Um, I think it was a lot better than I gave myself credit for because I didn't have the money to go to any events. Um, so I did very, very well in anything like PTQ, RPTQ, like whatever. I did very, very well. I was like always top eighting, but I couldn't afford to travel. So I never got really big there. Um, and then, you know, magic kind of. Uh, so I left and I was looking for another game and um, I tried out Legend of Runeterra, which is the League of Legends card game for anybody who doesn't know. Um, and I did very well in the first ever seasonals tournament they had. Um, and friends pushed me to start streaming, which I'd never like really considered before. Uh, I don't watch Twitch. I still to this day don't watch Twitch. I'd never seen a Twitch stream before I started streaming. Um, so I just started with zero expectations, but it was during COVID, whatever. I was like in flight school to be a pilot. Um, and it just kind of took off. And I won the next seasonals tournament, which was worth $10,000. And I said, okay, like, I don't know, let's shoot my shot, right? Like, let's just see what happens. And now I do streaming content creation full-time uh, i own mastering co-owned with a friend of mine and um yeah i i play leslie runeterra <laughs> and then um i kind of stumbled into flesh and blood uh they released that article where it was like all the you know you probably know exactly which article i'm talking about where it was like here's all the tournaments we're gonna run it's gonna be like armory skirmish calling nationals pro tour worlds here's how you qualify for each one 
here's the like tier pyramid system. And I read the whole article, not even knowing what game it was for. Cause I was like, yes, yes, I want this. Right. And so I asked around um, and my buddy, Yo Austin Yost or Yost with the most on like Twitter um, said, Hey, this game is really good. You should try it out. So I looked at all the heroes, right? I looked at all the heroes. This was like the week of Aria pre-release or something or like the week before looked at all the heroes and I said, Kano, that's the one. Right. And then my friends were like, no, pick another one. <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> like I know what I'm about. I'm going to play Kano. Um, and then I drove, I, the only closest place that held a tournament was like two and a half hours away. So I drove two and a half hours to go play a draft and they were full. <laughs> <laughs> so i bought a blitz deck a prism blitz deck and talked one person into playing games with me in between rounds even though i'd never played before i just wanted to try the game right uh i hate prism by the way i didn't enjoy that at all but i don't know i was there was something like the second i played the game you just realize you're like oh they cracked the code like right like specifically the resource system um i remember just playing it and being like this is it man like this is the next step um and yeah, ever since then, I just kind of like, I dove in, uh, I played the next, I, I played like an Aria pre-release. And then I think I went to the calling in Dallas, uh, like right after that. And just, that was it. I was sold. That, and that uh, consequently where you and Brendan actually met, uh, Brendan was just regaling us with a story and just boosting his ego before the, uh, before the, the, the pod started. So, um, yeah. you know, where, where mm. the, the love affair started between very Brendan humble and guy. Very humble guy. I was like, oh, yeah. So, uh, so he's like, yeah, I played a little bit of Legends of I was like, oh, what's that game? Because I, I, like, I heard of it, but I never, he, like, told me how to play. He's like, there's this thing where you, like, keep back your resources. I was like, cool, man. He's like, low-key, like, one of the best players in the world this game. Just, like, totally didn't tell me. You can't me. say that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay. I was you like, can't be like, well, I have a YouTube channel. <laughs> you know what I mean? That'd be so whack. Yeah, it was close though. You almost top eighted that one. Actually, yeah, um, I missed. I missed a winning in three rounds in a row. It was brutal. Damn. Yeah, brutal time. Good. I got beat by you, and then um, one of the Covenant guys. Oh, um, Steven. Yeah, it was yeah. So Steven. I got beat by Steven you, and then well. Steven had a Winter's Whale, and I did not win. <laughs> he did. Yes, he did have a Winter's Whale, which ultimately brought him against to a, uh, a mirror against Tarek Patel, where he got fatigued. <laughs> I mean, Winter's Whale in the mirror is like that's its worst, right? Yep. Exactly. Oh, well, good times. Good times. Back when, back when I used to top eight. Oh man. Well, you Me can't. Too, no, I didn't win. <laughs> can't top eight if you don't play, Brennan, as they say. You know. Um, so, want to want to ask you, uh, Caleb, what what's your experience been like in, in Flesh and Blood so far? Obviously, coming across paper paper card games before Magic, and then moving through COVID into digital card games. You've kind of you know you've you've done both, and then now I know you you're still heavily heavily involved in in Legends of Runeterra. As you say, it's you know it's it's your full time gig. Um, <laughs> I like the pun you snuck in there about being a pilot and then taking off with uh, Legends of Runeterra, by the way. That was great. Intentional or non-intentional. Um, but what about this kind of shift to Flesh and Blood? Like, how has it been going back to a paper card game? And, and what do you find to kind of like, you know, the, the things that you have loved and have missed about paper card games, maybe, maybe versus a digital card game? Uh, the two things that I've loved about it or I'd missed, um, one, and I think this is probably the most important, is flicking your cards. Um, <laughs> It just feels so good. It's so nice. I like it so much that when I play some Legends of the Room Terra tournaments, I have a hand specifically, usually a Kano hand, that I take out and I just flick it and shuffle it in my hand while I'm playing. It keeps me like keeps me focused. It just feels nice. Um, and the second is like the community aspect. 
like there's obviously like a legend of terror community we're very active on twitter and stuff and on twitch um but it's not quite the same like getting to meet all the people um i've met 10 times more people come up to say oh i love your stuff your content uh, at flesh and blood events than anywhere else because there is no there is no meetup for like legends of terror or anything right and i like didn't really know how much i missed that from magic um until i kind of got it back you know you go to a calling and there's always someone to talk to you just like oh how are you doing like did you win that last round are you still on dorinthia i'm sorry you know, <laughs> you know like all that kind of stuff uh and that's just that's just been so great there's been some drawbacks right like i don't want to buy a thousand dollars worth of cards um but usually the community aspect kind of comes in there where i can just be like hey like does anybody have these and someone will usually hook me up yeah or, or you know the the four and a half thousand dollars worth of travel costs to get to the the pt or whatever yeah. Especially now, freaking yeah, it's it, it's crazy nowadays because everything. I, I booked a flight to Ohio, and we're digressing, but booked a flight to Ohio uh, like a couple weeks ago, and it was five hundred bucks. I think everything domestic U.S. is like around that. It's so. insane. Don't Charlotte was uh, seven to eight hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah, that's why I, went, so I flew Spirit, and it was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is Spirit as well. That is expensive for domestic, but Brendan, you you well know I I calculated to you the other day the amount I've spent on flesh and blood travel so far since uh, Florida last year. So, you know, don't don't complain to me, buddy. Five digits. Um, you can sum it up with a minus EV. EV. Minus <laughs> EV. But you know what? Yeah. It's not minus EV because you hit on a great point there, Caleb, which is like the community aspect at these events. Like I have had the best time at all of the, from, I went to the calling in in, in Orlando. Uh, I went to New Jersey for PT1. I was at PT2. I'm new at Worlds in a couple of months and all the experiences have been phenomenal, no matter the the kind of results, which is, uh, you know, it's like, it's the equity that you, I guess it's the value that you can't quite put a, a number on basically, which is, is hard, but you know, obviously it, there is that offset of, of costs and things like that, like you say. Um, You've obviously just come back from U.S. Nationals, so I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that. But I do just want to say first for everyone who maybe doesn't know you, uh, Caleb, very good player. Not only two weeks after started playing almost top eight in Dallas, so I'm assuming you top 16 that event or top 32, cash that event. But then, you know, you've, you've had success in this game at, I guess, at that progress level, heading into the calling level. Uh, you know, it's, as a name, you know, out there, like, I think we're going to see still a lot to come from you, but you know, tell us a little about your nationals weekend and obviously not the best flight experience, but what about when you got to, uh, to Charlotte? Okay. So real quick before, so people don't think I am a bad player. Uh, I did have very good ProQuest. Um, my current ProQuest record is second, first, first, first. Um, and obviously I did very well at like the Dallas calling. Um, I do struggle to play flesh and blood. Uh, because it's not my main game and it is really really hard as a content creator full-time to be like to separate to do anything else for any amount of time it's really hard to convince yourself that because like if you're taking the day off twitch or you're taking the day off youtube or whatever you lose viewers right you lose relevancy um as much as people be like oh well your audience is still there when you come back and that's true it's not really how it works um youtube algorithm doesn't love you as much uh your twitch viewers go watch someone else for a weekend maybe they don't come back so it's been really hard for me to put time into Flesh and Blood, but I think starting during Worlds, you'll see me, you'll probably see a lot more of me. Um, I'm going to be taking a week or two before every big tournament now to like actually practice, which I haven't done since the last ProQuest season. Um, so really excited for that. But yeah, Nationals. Um, so I flew in, I flew Spirit 
Um, because of the way my flight was, I landed at 7.30 a.m. Um, the morning of the tournament. So by the time round one had started, I hadn't slept for about 30 hours, um, which is pretty brutal. And I hate Uprising Draft, like, so much. I hate it so much. Uh, and I went, um, I went Icelander, and so did everyone else in my pod. I think we had four or five Icelanders. It was very brutal. But by the time everyone else had jumped to Icelander, and I figured it out, right? Because like I started Iceland. I was like, pack one, pick one, um, cloak thing. And oh, then blue, cloak. blue, yeah, blue, uh, icy hail. <laughs> wow, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> I think it's like blue aether hail, blue aether hail, right? Um, so I was like, yes, like we're doing it. Blue aether hail, blue aether hail, red aether ice vein. I got this unlock. Um, and then a bunch of people jumped into Icelander. No one ever jumped out. By the time I figured that out, it was too late. Um, and I got stuck with an incredibly mediocre Icelander deck. I went one and two. Um, Brutal start, whatever. Um, and then I ended up going 4-0 in Classic Constructed on Old Him, basically uh, Tarek's list, which is still incredibly strong. Uh, very, very, very good deck. And yeah, then day two, one to the draft again, basically the exact opposite. The same thing happened, but I was on Fi instead of Icelander. Just picked a bunch of good Fi cards. No one ever jumped out. Got a little unlucky. Um and then, yeah, played Constructed, and I won the first round, lost the second because I misplayed. Um, I picked the wrong mode on Enlightened Strike. Not, like, objectively the wrong mode, but right after I made the play, I was like, I can't, like, if I'd have made the other play, it's much better for me. I should have plus two instead of go again to, like, keep mana up against Icelander, that kind of stuff. And so, lost that round, I think, specifically because of that choice, and just kind of, like, I don't tilt very often. <laughs> I'm a very like happy person, like a happy-go-lucky person. I think Hayden saw me like tilt a little bit. Um, not much, Grant, considering like, what I, happened. <laughs> not much, yeah. I, like I said, I'm not a tilting person, especially when I'm having fun. But I hate Uprising Draft so much. And all I wanted to do was play the Calling so I wouldn't have to play Uprising Draft. And then when it went so poorly and I lost because of a misplay, I just like kind of mental boomed. And I punted the last two rounds. I mean, I probably would have lost anyway, but it feels bad to lose and know that I, I could have played better. You know what I mean? Uh, so ended up with an incredibly mediocre seven and seven in us Nats, uh, which kind of like woke me up a bit, you know, it gave me like a bit of a shock that like, you can't just walk in and win. Th if I want to win, I need to like actually play the game. <laughs> I need to like actually practice and stuff. Right. Um, so in a way, I think that was really good for me. Yeah. The, the, the competition in this game is, I, I noticed it between PT1 and PT2. Like it's just, I, you know, PT1, I swapped deck to you know, the day before and felt like I just kind of was able to navigate you know, that classic constructive meta and and you know still top sixteen that event. This this PT low when you can you know say format aside and some of the things like uprising draft and things like that, the edges are, are really small in some of these formats and and just practices and the, the repetitions are just so valuable. I think that was kind of a big lesson that we took away from PT two was that we felt like we had a really really good list, but the repetitions were just you know just weren't there, and that was that was pretty punishing. Um, so you're going to be at Worlds. We're going to see you at Worlds, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And have you? how have you qualified for? Are you, you playing Worlds? I didn't. I didn't qualify. Um, <clears throat> I needed to win, I think, one more Classic Constructed round than I did to win on to qualify on ELO. Yeah. Um, I will be honest. I uh, was talking to some teammates, and I said, if I end up with a PTI, I'm going to skip it. Um, I, I do not perform well when I'm not enjoying myself. Um, I've learned that about myself over many, many, many Leds and Runeterra tournaments that if I play the deck I want to play, I perform incredibly well. If I play anything else, I don't do very good. Um, and I hate 
all of the decks in Uprising Draft. <laughs> um, and so, like, I don't know, that just, like, being a really big part of Worlds would, I think I would just get, like, tilted. Um, and I I can enjoy Blitz because I played, like, Legacy Magic the Gathering, right? So, like, I can enjoy a short format where sometimes you just lose and that happens. Um, so, like, I think I can get behind that, but I don't know. I was really upset. I hate, <laughs> I want to put it into perspective just how much I don't like Uprising. I played the pre-release, one road to Nationals where I left halfway through, Pro Tour Leal Draft 1, Pro Tour Leal Draft 2, Nationals Draft 1, Nationals Draft 2. That's it. I have not played any other Uprising drafts because I dislike it that much. People are going to come at you in the comments for uh, not giving it enough time there, Caleb, I, I tell you. <laughs> That's what not I said. Ma- not many people, to be fair. I think not yeah. many. <laughs> not many. <laughs> the people who are like, no, I like this draft format. I'm like, how are you doing in draft today? They're like, oh, I'm 2-0. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, talk to me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel today? Uh, 03, yeah. it's terrible trash format. No, it's the worst. The good thing about Worlds, though, is that, you know, a man like yourself, you can play Kano in uh, both Blitz and Class Constructed. That's what I would do. I'd, be, I'd play Double Wizard. I'm basically locked in on playing Icelander because um, I love Wizard so much, and I'm just going to do what I want to do now. Um, like I said, it's just it's how I've always found my best results. Is just, like, ignore whatever else, play the deck I like. Um, and I think Icelander's insane. Like, I think what Michael Hamilton did with Icelander is, like, so... Not groundbreaking, but uh, it was really like when you see it in action, you go, <laughs> duh, right? Like, of course that works. Um, and I think it, I think it's just so good. And it's like it's how I like to play card games. I like to attack. I like to attack the game from slightly different angles. Right. Um, I like to be able to take a lot of different lines. I think Icelander does that really well. But if I was in Worlds, it would be Icelander Kano or Icelander Icelander. Absolutely. I will be playing the calling, though. It's only an hour and a half away from my house. Sweet, sweet. Well, we'll see you. We have to come and uh, we'll have to we'll have to catch up, do a bit of a hangout. Brandon's yeah, no, gonna bring I'll, that. Bucket I'll walk out. over to the other side of the room and I'll be like, "How are you guys doing?" Yeah, like, yeah. Cool we'll, we'll get dinner. Brandon has to wear that hat, so um. <laughs> I'll be wearing a suit, baby. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not losing on stream this time. Yeah, but we'll put the hat on up? afterwards. <laughs> Brent, Brendan's on coverage, so uh, he's gonna have to oh, look right. respectable for once. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna go many, full suit? Is that what you're gonna do? Yeah. Uh, too many. Yeah, of course. I think you have to. But like, too many stream losses in a row, and like, I'm I'm breaking the streak. Gotcha. <laughs> you can't lose if you're commentating. Commentating. Probably, maybe. Right. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> maybe. <you> uh, can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It was. I want to move on to I guess a few sort of quick fire questions because we're gonna talk a little bit about the digital aspect of flesh and blood, and I guess the lack thereof at this point, but things are starting to change. What you talked a little bit about, I guess, the, you know, you talk about the resource system, you talked about the things you missed from paper card games. Is there any sort of other things that, you know, you really like about Flesh and Blood as a game and it's kind of kept you, you know, making time for it so far? Yeah, it's an incredible competitive game. Um, and that's really what draws me in. It's, it's just like, it is the game where I feel like I have the most agency outside of like chess, right? Um, you know, I, I feel like what I do really matters. Um, and that's really important. I get to make a lot of decisions. Uh, my bricked hands aren't the worst because you can just block with them, right? Like it does suck <laughs> when you draw all reds, but it's not like the end of the game, right? You don't just lose. Um, and I think that's really, really good. Uh, something that I think is very understated by the community, especially the competitive players, right? Especially like us is um, I love the, I, I love identifying I don't think that's the right word with a hero or a class, right? Like I am a wizard player. I know what I love. Um, and like, so every spoiler season, I get really excited because I get to like look for wizard cars. You know, I want to bling out my wizard equipment and stuff like that. Like I bought cold foil, the robe, Aluvin Constellus, whatever it's called, 
just because it looked pretty. And I know I'll like always play wizard. Um, so I wanted specifically that one. I wouldn't buy cold foil like any other equipment. Um, and I don't know, I think especially like for more casual players, that's really important. Being able to like really latch onto something is like a really big deal. And I don't think any other games do that in like nearly as well. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I, I think it's something that we we talk about a little bit. And to be honest, uh, Isaac Jessen, who is uh, another friend of the show from the Attack Action Podcast, he wrote an article, I think, that came out yesterday talking about now is the time to be a hero specialist in this meta. You know, there's the the, the margins are so much smaller and there's so many viable heroes right now in, in classes. And, um, you know, I think we're going to see more and more people who identify with classes and heroes like you talk about have have success not only, you know, kind of regionally, but maybe, you know, uh, internationally as well. So that's going to be interesting to see. What about, you know, coming from a, a digital, you know, I guess background at the moment, what are some of the things that you think Flesh and Blood is not doing as well or could learn from maybe digital clients or is a downfall of being a paper game? You talked about what you loved about it before. What about the kind of misses? It is very hard to get people to try it. If people want to try if people see my stream and they see what's this, what's this game? I want to try this. I go, okay, here, <laughs> here's the code. Try it out. Right. Or like, you know, just download it. It's free. It's easy. Um, I have, I have converted a lot of people to trying flesh and blood. Um, half of my discord right now is just a flesh and blood discord. Like I just have a flesh and blood channel and like, that's where most of the activity is. Um, so currently right now I just say, find where your local like game store is, find out when the next time they're running a tournament and just show up, um, and ask people, I tell them like, show up with nothing and just say, Hey guys, I really want to try this game. Does anybody have an extra deck? And 100% of time, someone's going to give you an extra deck. Like, or they'll hook you up or they'll do whatever they can to get you to like be able to try the game because it's so good and people love it so much that they just want more people to try it. So like, I think that that accessibility is not there. And I think LSS can do something about that. I think they tried and they missed with the Dorinthia Reinar dual deck thing. Like if you and a buddy are at Target and you've heard about this game and you see, you see this, you're like, oh damn, I want to try that. Right. Cause like they've always had dual decks in magic. They've had it in Yu-Gi-Oh. They had the tins and stuff um and if you see it and you're like oh yeah i want to try that and it's 50 dollars mm -hmm. like a lot of people are just gonna say no i would think twice and i love card games like <laughs> i'll try anything right but 50 dollars is so much what i want to see is i want to see basic ass heroes i want to see basically ira and ira 2 coming at each other and i want it to be 20 dollars, <laughs> no more right and i think that i think that would help a lot i think it would go a long way yeah i think i was thinking about that not long after that release and i was like three months in i reckon the majority of people who have bought this are people who are existing playing the game which is yeah, who's this product for right it's not for new players yeah is, is definitely how it felt so i think we we talked about it before but a bit of a miss um i want both of your opinions on this one but i'll, I'll start with you uh caleb because i think this is kind of the lead into this d discussion we want to have what are your thoughts on flesh and bloods i guess digital or lack of digital play thus far and you know this move from TTS, what we've had originally, something that was used during COVID time. Uh, LSS is saying, you know, we're not going to, we're going to be a, a paper game. And then we're seeing this rise of a third party in, in Talashar and, and quite a lot of discourse about it right now. What are your kind of thoughts on the digital, like their digital aspect of, of Flesh and Blood? I think <clears throat> TTS was fine. Um, it required an upfront cost, which kind of sucked. And I think Talashar is only positive for the game. Um, I think people, underestimate how difficult it is to get people to try new things when it's not readily accessible. Um, and Talishar existing, I like, I, I can't, the first couple of days Talishar came out, um, back then it was flesh and blood online. I 
got so many new people to try it just because I said, go to this website. Here's a deck for you. Go play a game, right? Like it's right here. It's free. It's easy. You don't have to download anything. Like so many new people tried it. I think that's such a big deal. Um, and I think, I think like growth is probably one of the most important aspects in any kind of company game, anything like that. You want to be acquiring new players, right? You don't just want the same people all the time. Uh, I have heard a lot of pushback from some more, I would say the more competitive crowd um, because this was wonder why. not exactly how the, the game is supposed to go. What's up? I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of people get to practice, um, which I think is good. And what I would say, you know, as a digital, I was not expert, but someone with more experience in like a digital only card game, um, I would say that people need to prepare for stats being more readily available. Um, people are going to hop on the best list faster. Uh, and the average skill level is going to go up. But what you're also going to see is the people at the top will not lose their edge. Um, the best of the best will stay the best of the best, and they might even get better faster uh, because they're the best at using those tools. And what we'll see is the l base level of players uh, get moved up. So like the, the standard player, the average player will be better, but the best will move up as well. Um, so there's just going to be smaller and smaller edges. You're going to have to fight harder and harder to really like separate yourself from the crowd. I would say, mm -hmm. Brendan, what are, what are your thoughts? Maybe let's get your kind of just your top level thoughts. Cause we are going to dive into this a bit more, but you know, you've talked about it a little bit, but I don't think you've kind of opened up on exactly how you, how you feel about the kind of the fact there hasn't been a digital piece before and now we have Telashar, which again, still third party, not, uh, but a move on from TTS. So I genuinely agree with pretty much everything Caleb said. Um, so Flesh and Blood staying as a physical card game, 100% here for it. Like if that is the game's core competency, that is the vision, I will stand by it 100%. This third party digital client, I think is absolutely good, like 100% good for the game. Just like you said, Caleb, like I think that it is great for introducing new players. It's great for just being able to play flesh and blood. Like I, I, this is kind of the hill that I'll die on is that there's one key metric to the, the success of flesh and blood. And that is people playing games of flesh and blood and anything that kind of deviates us from that path and getting people to play more games of flesh and blood is probably less conducive to the game's success. So I think that people that are really resistant to Talishar, and actually you said resistance from competitive players. I have not seen resistance from competitive players. I've only seen resistance from some very niche communities of mostly casual players because most competitive players see this and they get to play the game more. It's very easy, right? Like the fact that it's coded in, you can, it's not super heavy and like clunky that TTS was like, and you can just queue up and play against anybody. So I can play my Kano deck against someone random rather than making my, you know, teammate come sit next, you know, spectate me while I do this, right? Because it's a painful experience. Um, and I can play the decks I want to play and I can get practice whenever I want, right? It's on demand. And that's really important. I've played more Flesh and Blood since Tal since Flesh and Blood Online or Talishar came out than I had in a long, long time. I actually was planning to take a break from Flesh and Blood for multiple months after the Pro Tower because I, like you, also hate Uprising Draft, but also just was like, I was getting a little bit burnt out. And like this online aspect completely revitalized my kind of my love for the game. And I've been completely addicted during my, during my vacation. Um, just that on-demand aspect and me playing more games. Right. And I think that that's like the simplest way I can put it. And I know it's, it's a bit redundant now. It's just like the more games the flesh and blood are played, 
the better it is for the game. And I think that Talishar 100% um, facilitates that. And I think this, I, the, the, it being third party, like it is, I think that that is good, right? Like if I, I would, I, I think I would prefer it less if it was, you know, flesh and blood was like, okay, we'll kind of meet you halfway. We'll put out this, like, you know, this introductory, like online experience, which isn't really the game and it doesn't really suit anybody very well. Those are the plane walkers. You know, yeah exactly something like that so like i i would like that less like the fact that it's third party the fact that it's community supported um i think that's really what makes it and i hope that legendary studios takes the same approach that they did to tabletop simulator to um something like talishar uh but yeah there is a lot of vocal community pushback I, i wouldn't say a lot to be honest i think there's some vocal community pushback it does have me worried but i am like I'm a big believer <laughs> in this and like I will I I will defend Talishar as long as I can because I think that this idea that these stats are going to ruin the game and that you know there's just going to matters are going to get solved I don't think it's a thing and I think that if it does become a thing it's a solvable problem at that I want to get some of the I guess criticism addressed in terms of some of the negatives that are coming out and for us to talk about that but I want to say first of all because I've had questions directed at myself as well I know Brendan you've you know you've You've been vocal on Twitter, like you've talked about this, you've been talking about the games you've been playing. I spent the last two weeks, I think three days each week, uh, streaming over to Talashar um, as I got used to it and, and wanted to share that kind of that kind of journey of myself as well. I think I'm still a bit more neutral on things, but I, I want to say the the negatives that I'm hearing, like the criticism you were saying before, I, I think a lot of them are just are so invalid. Um, I don't think they make a lot of sense. So let's let's talk about some of those to start with, because I think it's important that we, we talk about some of these. So you both mentioned stats. Let's talk about stats. Talk to me a little bit about why this idea of like, oh, you know, having an online client makes uh, format solve faster, makes uh, the best deck list more readily available um, and is not good for the competitive side of the game. Uh, and even the armory level, people say bogus, right? Like, I think you you kind of alluded that to oh, that already, Caleb. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Runeterra is a lot of stats because it's solely digital. Um, we use stats very often and it, it makes the meta change so fast. Um, so you're just on it. Like I check, I check stat sites, um, every three or four hours to like, make sure I'm staying on top of the meta. That's how fast it it can change. Right. Um, and I, I, for one, find that incredibly interesting, but I think, um, all right, sorry. Can you boil that down to like one question? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, so obviously people, people talk about this stats, uh, readily available stats being a negative thing basically but mm-hmm. you know like is it is it a negative thing or is it actually a positive thing or a neutral thing for the game Would i think you- it's a positive thing the people the people who have expressed negativity i said competitive players and i think brennan's right the majority of the competitive competitive crowd are very pro talishar pro t- stats right pro all these things when i when i said competitive what i really mean is like a local top eighter you know, you know the kind of person I'm the talking grinders, about? The, the person spikes. who top eight, yeah. The person who top eights Friday Night Magics, like that guy, right? I have heard I've heard some pushback, not from my locals. I'm gonna point this out because I know some of them are watching. <laughs> um, but I've heard pushback from that level of people where they're like, oh my god, no, everyone's just gonna play the best deck. Blah. And like the people who whine about that are people who like frankly suck. Like <laughs> they suck. Um, and the people who like want to really be the best. They like this is this is a good thing, right? They want they want people to be innovating. They want to be able to innovate, and I think that happens more and more the more you allow like everyone to have access to this data. Um, I don't know how long ago you guys played Magic. I know it was pretty recently, um, but like super teams took over Magic: The Gathering for a while. 
right? Like Team Channel Fireball, like they they had access to things that like no one else had access to because they just got to test more games, play more and stuff like that. And they had access to the best minds. And um, it was it was a bit it was a bit of a problem at like the pro the pro level. They would like scout everybody's decks and they had like forms and stuff where they would write it all down. And the second everyone got access to that information, the playing field leveled. And I think it was like better for everyone. And I like that. I, I want that to be available. I want I want someone who like doesn't really have a lot of locals to be able to boot up Talishar online and play their homebrews and get better and better and better and then show up and just be like just just crush people right because they worked for it and they deserve it. We see that in fighting games now. Now that online play is a lot better in fighting games, instead of just these same like um, I would I would call them almost over the board players, right? People who only play in like real live events, IRL lands. Um, they've always been crushing. They've always been the best. But now you see these these prodigies come out from nowhere from places you've never heard of and and they've never played tournaments before because they have access to the game they get to play online in close to tournament settings and it, it just allows a lot more people to like it, it gets their foot in the door right they get to, like they now they get to experience this well they get to play the game <laughs> they, yeah. they get to play the game at a competitive level because they can practice and i think that's really really important yeah like brendan i want to hear your thoughts on this but you know i can use an example of this with just flesh and blood and what we've had so far a big part of how we prepared for PT1 was sourcing and looking at stats. And even to the point, this is a, a one I like to share, is that uh, Sasha went through, combed through every top level, uh, top eight event to look at Null Rune being played in decks. You know, like things like that to, to understand, you know, to, to find this, this this data point that was not readily available, had to be trawled through deck lists and things like that to find it. And, you know, not to say Talishara is like all of a sudden going to just inject all these stats because I think that's what people think and, and that's not true. Yeah. Uh, but it is going to move us on and give some of the opportunities you just talked about, uh, Caleb. But Brennan, your, your kind of thoughts? Yeah, I would just, I'll honestly, I would, I would just take this question in sort of a, a little bit of a different direction and go on the sense of like the Talishara data is just like not even close to what we see in like Hearthstone or Legends of Terror, even Magic, right? Like it's, it's, it's not, it's not big data and it's, it's not that precise, right? I'm not seeing the win rate br uh, broken down of each individual card. I'm not seeing millions of deck lists and then comparing to like, what is the specifically the exact deck list and everybody doesn't have access to that information. So we aren't getting more like, you know, it, egregiously more reps of uh, on a specific deck that is quoted you know maybe seen to be as the most powerful deck like this this data is not happening the data that we're looking at right now is a stats page that says that dorinthia has a over than 55 percent win rate which is not true by the way that deck <laughs> sucks like i mean it's just like and, and then kano's down at like 30 30 percent or something so like this is the data that people are are, are are worried about and i'm telling you that data shot like it's terrible um is it is it will i utilize it as a competitive player absolutely i'm gonna be gonna be like oh phi is by far the most played deck i should probably test into it before i go to nationals even though i think the deck kind of sucks like that's about it right that's about that's almost the the extent to which i will take talishar stats uh into consideration to like pro professional and competitive testing that being said the data that i am getting is more on a personal level right like i can queue up randomly and i can see what decks i'm playing it and i can see the way that people are playing decks and that's very helpful to me because when i only play against hayden or i only play against sasha and we've all heard of this idea of like inbred, like inbreeding and testing. Like it's a serious problem. Even though some of those players might play significantly worse than uh, than you know Hayden or Sasha or something like that, they still can make plays that are different 
in a way that it makes me think, right? And it's important for me to get reps against all a different, like a large spread of players, because that's what I'm going to face at these tournaments. And that's the data that I'm utilizing. I'm not going to the stats page and being like, okay, let me pick my deck, right? And I end up on freaking Dorinthia because it's hard to play against or something. No, like it's me getting reps against a wide variety of players. Um, and I think that's the most useful data so far. And I'm currently, if it did have, if we were utilizing like big data in a way that like HS replay or something like that was like, yeah, it might get solved fast and yada, yada, yada. That's a problem for another day, I think. And I also think it's solvable, but we are just so far away from it right now. Mm-hmm. You know? If I can, if I can yeah. butt in really quickly, the data, the data we have for Terra is insane. I can tell I can you the tell win rate, rate of every single, every single card in a, deck, in a deck, specifically, specifically when you have, when you have it in your opening hand. hand right? Yeah. Like the data we have in Runeterra is insane. I and a lot of other pro players, we only use the data as a guideline. You use it to get an idea, right? And then what's much more important, like Brendan said, is like your own personal experience and your own like personal like data. Um, because what what happens with the masses honestly doesn't matter right at like a high competitive level but what it can tell you is if like okay viscera is beating dorinthia like this percent like why like what is that okay well that that's probably a bad matchup let's only play it once or twice to get a feel for it right because the stats back this up okay this deck is winning in the hands of only the best pilots and losing with everybody else maybe there's something there even though the win rate's really low kano's 32 percent, but i would say it's still a very very strong deck Right, like and stuff like that. So you use this, this like stats aren't be all end all, is what I'm what I'm getting at here. Yeah, there's too many variables, and what it what it really does is allow you to ask the right questions. Is what I would say. It allows you yes. to direct the flow of your time and your efforts is a big part of what stats allows you to do. It helps you, you know. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't even need to ask that question because we already have a semblance of of an answer there that we can extrapolate upon. Whereas you know, now I can move this way or divert this way. Um, I want to, Brennan, you talked about, you know, playing against a wide variety of players. And this is another, I guess, criticism that's leveled at kind of the rise of, of Talishram, what we're seeing. Um, you know, previously, if you wanted to play against a wide variety of players, it might be local events that you'd go to. And uh, I guess one criticism that we're, we're hearing is Talishram in particular is going to take away from the participation at armories and ultimately hurt, I guess, the grassroots of the game. In yeah, so I can't, I, I can't prove it, right? But I would tell you, I would say... Oh, I feel so passionate by saying I, like, I just don't think so, right? Because you, Flesh and Blood is a physical card game. Um, all of the sort of benefits you get, the, you know, I guess the the tangible benefits the outside of, you know, I just want to beat my opponent are done by playing the game in person, right? Like Armory, um, Armory promos and you know, bonus things. Those happen in person. Callings are in person. This is how you win money. This is how you become a like a, I don't know, a... a a pro player you know you gain notoriety you get your cloud whatever that that's all done in person right the fact that you can just spin up the game online and play against somebody and beat them like i don't think i i don't think it's going to take anybody away from the physical aspect what i do think it will do is it will give people the opportunity to play more right because it's i don't think it's a good thing that if i don't have any nearby friends right if i don't or if i don't even have any friends that play flesh and blood like quote unquote friends then i have to drive one hour to an armory right on like a thursday night and then maybe get three rounds in maybe i get a buy the first round or something like that and then drive an hour back like that kind of sucks and i think that accessibility to playing more games of flesh and blood is good for the success of flesh and blood and like that's kind of just, I think most of my arguments are going to be based off of that concept right there. <laughs> just for yeah, keep repeating. I mean, what if, if we lose 10% of people, 10% of the people who would play an armory no longer do, 
because they play on Talishar exclusively, which I think is unlikely, even that it's that high. But you get 100% more people to try the game because there's an easy, accessible, free way to try the game and they don't have to leave their house. I think that's like, I would take that five times over. Like, mm-hmm. that's yeah, just absolutely. an absolute no brainer. That's going to convert into people. That, that's kind of my feeling really is that yeah. what you're going to, yeah, you're going to lose some people. To, to be honest, you are. You're going to lose people who were on that fence, right? Of like, oh, it's 45 minutes to my locals. You know, it's, it doesn't really fit into my lifestyle. I can go once every two weeks. Maybe that person stops going, but they get to play more flesh and blood. And ultimately they start to go to more skirmishes, more, you know, more other things. And then you get on the flip side of that, you're going to have players that get introduced to the game who then the next step is, hey, I've played Talishar online. Now I want to go and play physical cards. I want to go and start collecting. I want to get involved. They get to their first armory. And ultimately the sell of flesh and blood is not only just the amazing gameplay and the amazing structure of it, but I think the community, to be honest. And if, if that is cultivated at your stores as it should be, that person's going to be in. And if they can make it to armories, they're going to be there, you know, majority of the time, if that's what they want to do. So, um, you know, I don't really think it's taking away from that side of it. And, and that's an argument that I've heard. And I also agree. I think it's uh, one I disagree with. Yeah. I also don't think it's a Talishar problem, right? Because like that would be a problem that would also exist with something like Tabletop Simulator and would even exist with something like playing on freaking webcam, right? Like sticking my webcam down and playing my cards. Like that's also a way to not play at in person at an armory, right? But Talishar does give you matchmaking to not matchmaking, but gives you access access. levels of ease, right? So like you have the webcam, then you have TTS, which is a jump from that because you don't need the physical cards. It's even less clunky than webcam. Then you have the jump to Talishar, which is infinitely less clunky and has boom on demand. The most that's by far the most important part. I think it's the most positive thing that it has. But yes, that that is going to be the you're right. If anything is going to lead me to not going to an armory, I guess it's probably the fact that Talishar is so easy and I can queue up and play against anybody. I don't have to go grab, you know, someone I personally know and have them take time out of their day in order to play against me. Right? I can just queue up. Yeah. I I prefer the term uh, friction. Any like anything that prevents you from doing something or makes it harder is more friction, and anything that you remove is less. Right. Um, and I think Talishar does such a good job removing the friction involved in trying trying Flesh and Blood, whereas there was so much before, right? You're going to convince someone to buy Tabletop Simulator, right? <laughs> buy Tabletop Simulator, download a deck or whatever. They don't even know where to get one. Find someone to play with and try it online or like drive out to a local game store that like may or may not have an event running that day. They don't know anybody. Like, that's so tough. It could be full. That <laughs> sucked for me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or they could just boot up this online thing and try it and like, see if they like it and it's free. And like, that's, there's, there's barely any friction there. Right. And I think the closer you can get to no friction of trying your game, the better. Yep. I think, I think so. I mean, there's, there's other criticisms that are floating around. I, to be honest, I think they're mostly not worth, uh, kind of our time and effort, but I do want to, and there's actually one thing I do want to say, because I've been asked repetitively, like, what is my kind of view on Talashar? And I, I still don't feel like I've fully formed it. I know, Brendan, you just talked about kind of weird, you know, it's reignited passion for you. I love physical card games. I have always struggled with digital card games. That's why, you know, I played uh, Hearthstone for, I think, the first six months it came out. I, I loved it. I just struggled so much with digital card games. I hated playing Magic Online when I was a Magic player for testing and for, for grinding because it just, I just, it doesn't gel with me for whatever reason. I don't. I do, without cards in my hand, like you were talking about before, uh, Caleb, with like, you know, like even not even just flicking, just having cards in my hand, having this in front of me, having the board set in front of me, I, I do find it a lot less enjoyable and harder to focus on. That's just my personal thing. And it, I don't think it takes away from what I think of, of Talisharan and uh, this kind of move to, I guess, digital. But what I do want to ask you both on the back of that is, do you think Flesh and Blood now or in the future 
would be better served eventually going down a digital route. So I want to pass this one to Caleb before I, but before I say that, I want to, I want to go off your point because I, I'm the same way that you are. I've also struggled with digital, um, with digital card games, single player games. And it's, it's actually not, I don't know if it's because of the physical things in my hand, but it's because for me to be engaged in a competitive game, it needs to be personable. I need to understand and like be across from my opponent. And there needs to be some sort of empathetic relationship there. There's not, and it's just anonymous and it's kind of sort of like a bot. I have almost no interest, right? So I, but at the same time, what I would say is that I think that phys, like the physical aspect of the game and you know this potential third party client that is online can go completely hand in hand, and I'm 100 percent with you. Like my de- default to this game will always be playing in a person because if it was just Talishar online, I would lose interest. I wouldn't play 100. percent yeah. yeah, but Caleb, I'll go ahead and pass to you for the future of Flesh and Blood in terms of will it maybe <laughs> really really put them on the spot. Yeah, thank you. Or That's actually what add I was an say. official digital card game. I was going to be like, Brendan. I'd love for you to take this one first. <laughs> you beat me to it. Here's this uh, hand grenade. Just yeah. hold it for me. Uh, I I expect at some point in the future, if Flesh and Blood continues to grow, we will get an online client from Flesh and Blood. Um, I think eventually some things get too big, shareholders get involved, um, and shareholders love profits and. Um, I think it is incredibly easy to convert online clients to profits, even easier than it is like paper card games. Um, so I think like from a pure business sense, eventually, if Flesh and Blood continues to grow, I think we're going to see that. Um, I do not think it would be to the detriment of Flesh and Blood um, as a whole. I think there would be parts that would become maybe a little less like... Um, I, th- I think if that happened, a lot of people would look back on this time as mm-hmm. magical Christmas land, right? The good old days. Um, and I don't know how much of that would be true, but I think it would lose a little bit of its like fun niche kind of like community thing that it has right now. Yeah, it's romance. Yeah, it's romance. <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a tough one, right? Because people will always point to the way Magic: The Gathering has gone as like Arena killed Paper Magic, and it's like a it's this thread that continues to go on. But I will maintain that what killed Paper Magic was was the coast. So was it was because, Hasbro. Yeah, I so. would still be playing Paper Magic to this day if they hadn't have like shot themselves and then me. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was also because of the, the way it was done. Like I started to come off around the time that GPs went away and Magic Fest started to come in. And this allure of what the game was really changed. And it might not have been apparent immediately, but it was gradual. And the luster, I think the shine really started to come off. And then the stuff happened with arena. It was already in the works prior to arena coming out would be, would be my argument. But anyway, don't want to dwell on magic too much. Brendan, any, any kind of thoughts from, from your side, should there be a digital client? Should it be a route that they go down? I know you just said before, if it's something they decide not to do, you'd be more than happy with it. Yeah. So like, I just, I also think that it will happen. Um, I, I think that as long as like James white is the sole leader of, Legend Story Studios, and they have 100% ownership over the intellectual property of Flesh and Blood, and they do not need money, then we will probably continue down this road. Um, because I think that it operates in a very like unique niche that a lot of people appreciate, right? But at the same time, yeah, I do think it's very easy to monetize uh, digital games. I also don't think it would necessarily be a bad thing for Flesh and Blood. Um, I think it could potentially really kind of give it what... Give the game what it needs to sort of achieve that global kind of mass adoption. Um, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's necessary. I know for me, if it did become 
digital like a digital game if they did get rid of the sort of the paper organized play at least the robustness that we have now i would be very disappointed but if they keep it right if they keep what they have now this 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 very very good system with pro tours and world championships and we have coverage and you know all this stuff and there's a digital client in tandem yeah i'd be okay with it because i just want the game to be successful and i want as many people to play the game as possible yeah that's a, that's a good approach selfishly i would prefer that we don't especially not in the interim but the game's amazing and i think to get it out to more people and allow people access to it it, it makes the most sense as long as it's done in what i'd say is probably a right way which i think is an, another topic into itself to be honest and, and how you could do it but yeah I, I think you're right i think the current trajectory we're on it, it i don't think we'll see it anytime soon but things change right game changes goes through phases you know things can happen mistakes should happen that force a potential restructure and things like that i think at the current pace we're at though i think what we're going to see is a third-party client in the form of telashar and just alice's continue on how they've intended to the whole time i guess my last question on this is okay we'll start with you what do you think happens if alice's don't embrace digital and we have telashar doing what it's doing now uh does are we gonna could we see a clash with third-party events cash prizes things like this happen and is that a positive or a negative? I don't think you're going to see much of a clash. Um, I say this mostly from Legends of Runeterra, whose community has been dying for competitive events outside of what Riot provides for a very long time. And we, being Mastering Runeterra, have provided the vast majority of them. Um, there's another company stepping in. Uh, Aegis is running incredible tournaments as Mastering Runeterra kind of steps back from running tournaments. But like, it's really hard <laughs> and there's not much gain. Um, it's more for the love of the community thing. So I don't expect to see companies coming in and dumping tons of money to run these really, really big tournaments uh, on Talishar, which is what it would take to usurp the current flesh and blood, right? Tournaments that we have, these in-person events, like people aren't going to skip callings for these Talishar events because the events are better or because they run more money. Because there's there's no there's no reason for people to dump these money into these Talishar tournaments. I don't I don't expect that to be super big. Um, I will say it's slightly off topic. Um, my favorite part of Flesh and Blood right now is um, an old Magic tagline. Actually, uh, sorry to keep bringing it back to Magic, but uh, they used to say uh, "Play the game, see the world," yeah. and I never got to do that. Um, but Flesh and Blood lets me do that, and I, I I love it more than I thought I would. Right? It's fantastic. I get to like see all these cool places. I get to meet all these cool people and like, that's just, that's just the coolest thing. So anything that takes away from that, anything that takes away from paper being the premier way to play the game, I think would probably be a negative in my eyes. I do not ever see Talishar doing that though. Yeah. And that, uh, that, 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 that really means a lot coming from you, Caleb, considering that you um, have basically gone broke and taken 30 hour plane. <sighs> yeah I no i that. totally i mean we we've said it we i mean hey we've talked about it and like this has been it's been it was the vision before this sort of uh competitive events started happening and now we are living in it right now but we we absolutely have been playing the game and seeing the world and that it like it's been successful and i think that it's absolutely incredible and i'm 100 percent with you that if that were to go away it would be a, a big disappointment cool yeah awesome love talking about this thing it's a topic that we have kind of not uh addressed i wanted to wait for the right person to come on and, and uh caleb it's been great 
Last couple of questions for you. I want just like a yes or no. I'll maybe give you five words max on some of these questions. Uh, just on where we are right now, post-US Nationals, post-the National season as we head towards Worlds. Um, current state of the game, is it the best you've seen it so far, uh, class constructive-wise, since you started? Yes. Uh, one word, but it was it was like all aggro since I started, and this is the only time it hasn't been. So very happy with that. Sure. Uh, Briar has not hit Living Legend and will not Living Legend before Worlds, as we've, as we've now found out. Is there much room for the format in terms of class constructors to grow and innovate, not just iterate, innovate before we get to Worlds? Absolutely. Anyone who doesn't think so should watch Michael Hamilton play his deck again. <laughs> Great. Uh, do you think it's a miss not having Dynasty for World Championship coming up next month or month after now? Yes. Uh, the most exciting pro events are the ones where you get to see how the format changes and then take it to your locals afterwards, and we don't get to do that. Yep. Okay. And then, finally, this one's maybe a few more words. What do you think top players, the, the, the pro players, the best of the best right now will be doing between now and Worlds? Is it getting reps on known things to find small edges, or is it time still to revolutionize? Uh, Hamilton will be trying to revolutionize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so will folks. Uh, Tarek, I think, to a lesser extent. And then I think Pintor is just going to play something that's known and he's going to play it better than everybody else. <laughs> Good call. Brendan, I'll allow you one of those questions to, to rebuttal if you want. If we're out of time. I don't have any rebuttals. <laughs> I agree with everything. It's, uh, it's a really good meta. Um, I do think that, yeah, I just, well, it's, a, it's an open meta. So if you want to innovate, this is the meta to do it in, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of good decks. You There's a lot of very uh very safe picks right you could there's plenty of deck lists out there if you want to bring that to the world championships i think that you could perform very well with plenty of listeners out there at the same time um i think there's some unexplored spaces in this meta and i think that decks that were previously being uh, constrained by prism the jailer uh, now have a time to shine and there's there's a lot to explore that uh, we haven't seen yet cool all right so axes bolton it is um <laughs> Caleb, aka Margin Bay, thank you so much for joining us. Before we sign off, just uh, give you an opportunity to tell everyone where to find you, uh, be it Flesh and Blood related or uh, Legends of Runeterra related. Yeah, um, so on Twitter, which is both, uh, I would say Margin Bay L-O-R with two I's. On Twitch, it's Margin Bay. There might be an L-O-R, I can't remember. <laughs> um, and then if you want to try out uh, Legend of Runeterra, masteringruneterra.com is the place for you. Yeah, your 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 Twitter handle is actually right down below you right now. You can't see it, oh, but everyone man. else can. Did I get so, it right? I uh, hope there's I an, got there's it an LOR. There's an LOR, but that's all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, for us, no uh, Google review this week. Brendan's uh, he's still recovering from his big trip. But if you want to get your reviews in, go to ratethispodcast.com. We really appreciate it. Go and leave us a review there. Uh, the funnier, the better for Brendan. Talk about his hat. Why not? Uh, you can also find not just not just Caleb on Twitter, but you can find myself and Brendan at BrendanAPG at uh fian underscore dale come and get involved in flesh and blood's chat who's the best player in the world let's find out at world championship until next week we'll see you later later <laughs>